Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast, and here's your host. A chance for a storybook ending to senior day, and Anthony Gordon maybe his final play in his Cougar uniform here at home. Winston to the right, Arcanado, slot left, Bell and Martin to the left. First and goal from the two. Four seconds left, no timeouts. Snap back, Gordon, they run it, Borgie up the middle, touchdown! Touchdown, Max Borgie! One second left, Cougars on top over the Beavers, 54 to 53, they ran it, they ran it down the middle, and Max Borgie scores! Michael Preston. Next match has now call of the final Max Borgie touchdown where we were all literally screaming to hand the ball off to Max Borgie, courtesy of Learfield IMG. Welcome back to the Coop Center Hour. We're going to go over that just drunk-as-hell football game uh, here in a second. Christian Capel from The Athletic, also here to preview the UW Huskies, always does a great job uh, with us in his annual visit every year. We are so glad to have him back. Uh, as well to preview the dogs and then we got women's soccer to talk about holy heck what a game and weekend for them as they look to face the South Carolina Gamecocks in the Elite Eight of the NCAA Women's Tournament this coming weekend then our Dunder Head of the Week and ask Michael anything I do want to start out by saying thank you to a few people who did reach out ask where the show was last week I know I said as much that we weren't doing a show last week and if you didn't read the website I just wanted to say thank you again we were Dealing with uh, my wife's grandfather's passing, uh, we miss him a lot, so uh, this is very cathartic for me to be able to sit down and to be able to do this again, and you know, you kind of want to get back to doing some of the things that make you happy and make you feel good, so uh, again, thanks to the folks who reached out, and I'm appreciative, like Jeff and Craig said on their episode of Podcast vs. Everyone this week, just to know that everybody appreciates this show and how much they look forward to it every week, that really helps me, and it Uh, Makes me feel good, so uh, that's nice as well. So we got the sappy stuff out of the way. Now we can go over an extraordinarily drunk and stupid football game that I don't know if it has precedent in Wazoo history. Maybe except for this year when UCLA came back, but even then, this was so back and forth. I'm just going to read... So there are just like a few things, even from the post-game notes that Bill Stevens and Bobby Allworth sent out... uh, Besides Anthony Gordon setting the conference record for single-season passing TDs in the game, uh, the 606 passing yards were the third most in WSU history. It's the fifth year in a row, also a school record. Washington State has qualified for the postseason. Going back to Anthony Gordon, his yardage uh, that he got to in this game for the season also broke a Pac-12 single-season record. Blake Mazza now third uh, in WSU history for most PAT successfully converted in a single season. Uh, and oh, by the way, Washington State's 35 first downs were tied for second most in school history in a single game. That's just from like the official, you know, box score. Like the official notes that get sent out. As dumb as this football game was. But I think I, I have what I think is a better one to offer you. And I put it on Twitter this week, and it it just, it still is absolutely effing bonkers to me. Okay? So, possessions are counted so that that doinky offside thing that rebounded back to OSU and their laterals 
count as a possession. So that the laterals count as a possession for OSU, and technically the kickoff that bounced off a Wazoo uh, player back to Oregon State counts as a Wazoo possession in the possession book. So there were 32 possessions in that game, which is insane. I think Jeff said Wazoo averages about 11 or 12 per game. It combined 32 possessions. The teams punted four times. Three of those times were in the first nine minutes of the third quarter. That is insane. That With that, you look at this drive chart that... The school puts together in the in the in the official box score, and it's just it's like line item after line item. It looks like somebody went on a bender on a business trip and they're turning in an expense receipt. Like this is insane. But okay, so for for argument purposes, because I don't really think those are quote unquote possessions. So take those possessions out. Those stupid, you know, the ricocheting kickoff and the lateral fest. I, those aren't possessions. So, 30 possessions, that means the ball changed hands once every two minutes. Once every 120 seconds, somebody new had the football. That is bonkers. And I'm like, you didn't, like this, the second half drive chart is kind of like one of those roller coasters where, you know, you get going real fast at the start. You know what I mean? Like the one that makes you go really, 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 really fast. Okay, punt, punt, downs, touchdown, punt, now wait for it, touchdown, 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 fumble, touchdown, pick, touchdown, touchdown, downs, there's the Oregon State fourth down conversion, or failed fourth down conversion, touchdown, end of half. (laughs) That game was drunk. It was completely freaking drunk. And I don't know how much you can really glean from it because you had... I, I think what you did have in that football game was two teams that were pretty desperate to win. Like, they really needed to win this football game. And I, th- I think for very separate reasons. You have an Oregon State football team who's rebuilding under Jonathan Smith. And by the way, I want to get this out of the way right now. I if I'm an Oregon State fan, maybe I you know because I'm not, I'm saying this, but I like going for it on that fourth down. Your offense has moved the ball well all night, and if you get a touchdown here, it's over. Game's over. And, you know, maybe you don't you you, you need to gamble there. You have to assume you have a better than 50% chance of making that. And if you punt it away, okay, yeah, they're further away, but there's still a chance Washington State's going to carve you up. All the way down the field. So you can at least end the game right there. And you know Washington State's offense doesn't move in chunks quite like yours did all night. So I like that decision. But you had two teams who needed to win it. I think for very different reasons. You had an Oregon State team who wanted to win it. So they could, you know, at least, you know, they're a little ahead of schedule if they win. Right? You know, we're a little ahead of where we should be in terms of this rebuild. And they're staring Oregon down. The next week, they have to know that this is the opportunity right here to get this done. And they certainly played, uh, for a lot of the game, like a team that was loose and felt good and was, you know, uh, really really looked like they were confident enough to win. And then for Washington State on the other side, I think you had a team that was a little tighter, especially at the beginning of the game. They knew that they needed to win this game 
to maintain that kind of standard that's been set now at Washington State of going to a bowl game. And I know I've said in the past I'd be happy with three out of every four years, but it's kind of funny how your expectations change. We've talked about that before, where now, I mean, yeah, I kind of expect six wins. And you don't want to be the senior class that leaves off with not getting there. Because although the Huskies are not who they have been, they are still, you know, their record doesn't say it, but they are still a better football team. And you need to go there on a short week and play in their house. And so you also kind of know that this is our best shot to get bowl eligible. So both teams knew they needed this football game. And I think how insane the game was kind of reflected that. You had two teams that were desperate to win the game. Again, albeit for different reasons. It was just an absolutely bonkers football game. And I think what amazes me most is for so long, Oregon State had kind of been that get-right game for Washington State quarterbacks. And Anthony Gordon threw three picks. That's more than Washington State quarterbacks have thrown against Oregon State in the last five years combined. And Luke Falk threw both of those in one half. So for, what what is that, nine halves of football, they were completely clean on interceptions. And then Gordon went out and threw three. Now again, I, I really like Anthony Gordon. And I, I feel like he's he's got that Connor Halliday don't give an F energy, which I like. But yeah, when he thinks he can fit it in there over a defender and underneath another one, but the defender underneath is six foot three and jumps up and grabs it. I mean, yeah, that's a little that's a little frustrating. And I've said before, it's like, you know, when he forces it in there and it's completed, we love it. But when he does and it's intercepted, we hate it, which okay, I get that. But I, I just it's it's hard to even look at this game and analyze it in any way other than to just say it would be difficult for everything that happened in that game to happen again because you had such a wild point swing in the game, especially in the fourth quarter. Oregon State scored 29 points. Again, let's go more weird and crazy stats. Oregon State scored 29 points in the fourth quarter and lost... And Washington State turned the ball over five times and won. What? How the heck does that even happen? Like, how in God's name does that happen? The fourth quarter started. It started, mind you, this way. Washington State 35, Oregon State 24. It ended Washington State 54, Oregon State 53. What? <laughs> what? Somebody, the math, 19 plus 29, 48 points in one quarter. If you did that for an entire game, you'd be on pace for 192 points. Am I doing the math right? 192 points in a game? I, I just... These offenses, again, it was it was strength on weakness for both teams. Oregon State's offense is very good. Their defense is horrible. Washington State's offense is better. Their defense is worse. And it reflected that. And, it, it, I mean, goodness me, it really did come down to who had the ball last, didn't it? And 
how appropriate, as I think we all know, that it was Max Borgi who punched it into the end zone. I don't know what Oregon State was thinking there. I think they, uh, you know, you obviously have to assume or think that Washington State, a passing team, is going to pass the ball and rely on that on their only shot at the end zone. And if you're Washington State, you also kind of have to go, look, if we don't run it here, we can't run it on second down. So, you know, if if you try to pass on first down and you manage to get the clock to stop with one second left, you're pot committed to passing again. So that first down play has to be a run. And it's weird to say that with no timeouts because you know that's the chance. That's going to be it. And I think towards the end of the game, you finally kind of saw, you know, that that team have some confidence again. That Max Borgie's going to be the one that gets the football here. And that offensive line just crushed the Oregon State defenders. Brandon Arcanado came down the line for a great block on a linebacker. And Borgie was basically two yards into the end zone before he was even touched. What an incredible ending to a game because I was absolutely I tensed up. I could turn Cole into a diamond that entire drive and it paid off. And it's so weird to have woken up on Sunday morning and have that aura of happiness and of, you know, more I think than I felt after any win this year and it was a win over Oregon State. <laughs> Like, okay, whatever. Like, whatever works. I I just, whatever, man. That was, that's a new one to me, but as far as I'm concerned, cool. That works for me. I'll, t- I'll take that feeling at any time. So now coming up, what do you have? You have the Washington Huskies. And we'll talk a lot with Christian about them coming up here in a couple of minutes 21 really great minutes with him uh covering Washington but we obviously know this is not the Huskies team of the past because for me you know it was a matter of their defense is going to be good until it isn't because Chris Peterson can reload until he doesn't and it doesn't seem like he has they still have a very good defense no doubt about that but they are not what they have been in the past and for that matter, neither is that offense because what made Washington really, really scary in Apple Cups was not only did they have the athletes to stop you everywhere on offense, even with a really good Wazoo defense, they could score seemingly at will. And I don't know what it is about this Washington offense that just, you know, in the past, even that really good 2017 defense looked completely lost. Just completely out physicaled up front, even with Hercules Mata'afa before he got tossed from the game. It made absolutely no sense to me. And I think at this point, I've kind of stopped trying to make sense of the game. And I just want them to win, if that makes sense. I mean, does does that does that mesh for everybody else? Like, I just, I've stopped trying to think about it too hard. And now I'm just like, just just please go win. Please just go win the game. That That's really all. Although in this case, it might send you to El Paso instead of Vegas. I'm fine with it. Like, just just go do that. Please just go do that. Like, let's just go out there and win that football game. But I also know how hard it will be because Washington still has a good defense and this defense has made any offense look better throughout the last three quarters of the year. They've made practically any offense look, you know, well put together and well oiled. So, you know, do you look at this and go, it's 
strength on strength, weakness on weakness, but is their weakness that much better than our weakness? And I get that they had a hard time at all moving the football against Colorado. Oregon State, for that matter, too. They only scored 19 points in that game. But that Oregon State offense also only scored seven, and it was because of a pick six. So, what what do you what do you look at there? I mean, I, I don't really know. Transitive property is so hard in college football, as we know. So, what happens here? Let's talk to Christian Capel. They'll find out his thoughts on this upcoming matchup. And uh, coming up in a little bit, we'll talk about the women's soccer team as well. Their incredible run through the NCAA tournament. That's coming up on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Coog Center Hour and has now become tradition here every year, the week of what I, I guess we have to call it the Boeing Apple Cup now, Christian Capel. But Christian Capel stops by to chat with us about the Washington Huskies. And if I remember right, dude, this is like your third different publication. No, maybe your second different publication because you're with the TNT and now you're with the Athletics. So do, do you call it the Boeing Apple Cup series or you just call it the Apple Cup like everybody else does? I do not, and just you know, the same way I don't call it Alaska Airlines Field at Husky Stadium. Yeah. Um, I even when I was so when I was still covering basketball, I was so anti anti sponsor and old school and set in my ways that I would only refer to their home arena as Heck Edmondson Pavilion, mm-hmm. not even Alaska Airlines Arena. So there you go. That was you know that was the thing too. Like I mean, Heck Ed is like, that's such a you know like legendary name for Washington. And I even I, the name just Heck Edmondson sounds cool, but no, let's just dump it for a generic airline that happens to be based here. I even thought that that was really weird, but nobody wants a Cougs opinion on that in Seattle. Um, six and five so far this season for Washington coming into the Apple Cup. You and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about how this, you know, nobody's really had a season go the way they thought it was going to go. And for the first time in three years, really the only stakes attached to this game are pride and who wants to go to El Paso if they win. So six and five, obviously not what Washington expected, but how precipitous has that dip been? I mean, I think everybody kind of knew this would be a bit of an off year for the Huskies, but not to this extent. Yeah, I mean, game by game. This is not a significantly worse team than the one they fielded last year that they won the Pac-12 with. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, obviously they've taken a step back. I mean, you look at last year and um, they they lose a, a tight one to Auburn, a tight one to Oregon, and a total dud at Cal. And that, that was kind of the the mo for Chris Peterson that, that people were kind of getting sick of seeing them drop a game every year that they shouldn't lose. Well, this year there were three of those. Yeah. They lost to Cal. They lost to a bad Stanford team. They lost to a bad Colorado team. And you look up and, and you're six and five and you are what your record says you are. And the Huskies just aren't very good this year. Um, but it's just kind of, it's, it's been a, a bit of a step back for the defense uh, though they're still not terrible, I think they're ranked 29th in the country in scoring defense, which a, a lot of teams would take. And yep. um, you know, in their those three losses I mentioned, they gave up 20, 23, and 20. You know, that's usually yeah. that's that's going to be uh, good enough defensive output to win those games. But um, you know, the, the big disappointment has been the offense, and particularly the passing game. I think a lot of people thought that Jacob Eason would come in and, and wave his magic five-star wand and fix everything overnight. And, and they'd be this this you know big explosive big play downfield passing offense and um, it's been that at times you, you've seen the, the the potential that they have when they protect Jacob Eason and he's really on but um, I think opponents have found that if you, you bring a ton of pressure and, and uh, get in his face and move him off his spot 
um, that's going to make life really difficult for them. And yeah. um, you add to that, they, they, their receivers haven't really stepped up. They've got a, on paper, a deep veteran crew, but had a couple key injuries to some emerging guys. And that senior class really hasn't had the output they were hoping for. They, they struggle with separation, struggle to get open. And um, they, they just have not been very dynamic offensively this year. What would you say then, you know, before we get kind of specifically into Jacob Eason and, and, and what I've been surprised is a pretty precipitous drop of the Huskies defense because they always just, you know, I think my rule was they're, they're good until they aren't. They will reload until they don't. And that has kind of sort of happened this year. We'll get into that in a little bit. But what do you think the biggest bugaboo has been for them in those losses? I, especially uh, just a couple of days ago in Boulder. That really surprised me, losing 20-14 to 14 to, you know, Colorado is motivated a bit. Steven Montez does still have a little bit to play for. But that really shocked me that they lost that game and really... It was 20-7 to for a majority of the game. I don't think they scored that last touchdown until fairly late in the game. Yeah, I think the most alarming thing, and this is why the Colorado game really resembled the Stanford game in a lot of ways, was just how to the degree to which they were dominated on both lines of scrimmage mm-hmm. against teams that really just aren't that good. And just they're not having very good seasons. And, um, you know, at least against Stanford, the Huskies did run the ball well. Um, against Colorado, I mean, 32 rushes for 32 yards. You know, that's that's yeah. almost unfathomable for an offensive line that has three seniors and two guys who have been first-team all-conference at some point in their career and, you know, going into this season was really considered among, you know, one of the, the highest potential offensive lines in the country. And so, yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, too, uh, they're, they're not as – they're not as explosive. Um, they're not as dynamic along the defensive line as they have been. They've got, you know, I think that group's been okay, but there's been a bit of a step back there. Other teams have run the ball a lot better on them. They're they've been very weak and very inconsistent and inside linebacker. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. kind of been the weakness of the defense all year. And I think that was the position that was most easily identifiable as a potential weakness this year. And it's it's kind of been what people feared it would be. And so when you're you're a little bit softer up the middle defensively, teams have been able to really run the ball on. I mean, Colorado ran for 207 yards and five yards of carry. Um, you know, Stanford was able to run it on them and then hit a bunch of play action stuff off of it. Mm-hmm. They've had trouble containing mobile quarterbacks. Um, again, you know, the defense, it's definitely been a step back, and there's been a lot of growing pains, some, you know, a handful of coverage busts here and there with, with some freshmen still learning and figuring things out in the secondary. For the most part, the defense really has, has not been the problem. They're still allowing any ground. 21 or so points per game yeah. which you know, I think if you said going into the year that's where they would be at most people would have been pretty pleased with that because the assumption was that the offense would be a lot better but mm-hmm. um, you know I, I think the future of the defense is is pretty bright just considering how many young guys they've got playing key roles and, and the way that they've recruited and, and the way that the depth chart should look next year and going forward but yeah this year there's just there's been been too many uh, too many games where they just weren't quite up to the task physically, and and um, there've been a little, a few more mental errors than, mm-hmm. than you're used to seeing from Jimmy Lake's crew as well. You mentioned uh, Jacob Eason earlier, and I did uh, obviously want to touch on that because that was a, a big deal when he transferred over a year ago from Georgia, sat out the season uh, per the transfer rules, and came in uh, after Jake Browning, who had a, a remarkably illustrious career at UW. I know some fans were not totally happy with him at the end, but I, you know, I, and I think, like you said, and I agree with it, that everything I'd heard was everybody kind of just expected this to flow well and to get better. But you know, in addition to maybe not having the downfield threats and the running back threats that Jake Browning had, Eason has just 
not really looked like that guy everybody saw coming out of high school. He still has that cannon of an arm, but you mentioned, you know, the game plan really is kind of get him off his feet and put some pressure in his face, and that's what's been most effective for defenses. Has there been anything else that's really been a problem for him for him this year, or just when he can't stay planted, it's not going to be a good situation for him? Yeah, I mean, that's really the big thing. I think his completion percentage against pressure is something like in the high 30s. Yeesh. Um, yard, yards per attempt against pressure. I, I wrote I wrote a thing uh, just kind of looking at his draft status a couple weeks ago and compared um, his, his numbers when pressured to the other top quarterback prospects in this class and then every first and second round quarterback pick from the last three drafts. And mm-hmm. I think there's like one guy out of that whole group that, that his – pressure stats are better than yeah um and it's a pretty stark difference you know you look at like what joe burrow is doing at lsu this year i think his completion percentage against pressure is over 70 i mean he's yeah it's almost like you don't want to send extra guys at him because it's that that's when he makes his plays so Mm -hmm. um it's even when teams have like dropped eight and rushed three like at byu i think they had a lot of success the week before doing that when they beat usc and then kind of tried the same thing against washington and they kept him upright, and he picked him apart. Um, if he's got time to throw, he's going to find somebody open. And you know, when, when he's had time, and, and when he's been able to go through his progression, he's been, you know, he's proven to be as accurate as anybody. And he's made some absolute highlight reel NFL type throws that not a lot of people in the country can make. But um, the decision making under pressure, his his pure just ability to evade pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, has been a, a steep drop off from what even what people grew accustomed to with Jake Browning. I know that was kind of a knock on him was against physical defenses that really like to to be aggressive and blitz. There, there were times obviously he made some catastrophic decisions and some some big errors, but he also was mobile enough to create second chance throws for himself and keep plays alive. And um, yeah, I think they're they're kind of missing that this year. Any chance he doesn't leave for the draft? You think? I think there's a chance. I think there's a greater chance, you know, right now than than there has been at any point all season, mm-hmm. just because it he hasn't shown market improvement as the year has gone along, and he's you know kind of had his his few worst games of the season here these last couple weeks, both against Colorado and against Oregon State. He's thrown a couple pick sixes, and you know, obviously has been sacked a bunch of times, and his completion percentage has dropped off a bit. And, isn't hitting those downfield throws. I mean, even against Colorado, you know, it was, it was kind of tough sledding and they couldn't run the ball and everything was really hard for them offensively, but there were a couple opportunities that he missed on. And so, you know, that all said, I don't know how much of that is going to impact his decision to come back or not. I think, you know, a big key and, and what's been mentioned to me by a couple of people is, you know, it's really a no brainer decision for him to come back. If he feels like Washington has the personnel and the coaching staff around him to help him take that next step in his development as a fifth year senior, you know, is it going to be better? Is he going to be better served? Can he improve his, his draft stock by coming back Mm -hmm. or is it going to be more of the same? And, and, you know, if that's the case, maybe he should come out now regardless of where he's pegged. So uh, I still expect to, to see him declare, but I'm more willing than ever to, you know, accept an argument that maybe he won't, and maybe that's not the best thing for him. But mm-hmm. I, I certainly wouldn't blame him if he did. No more Miles Gaskin in the backfield for the Huskies, and losing some playmakers on offense at the wide receiver position as well. And, and again, you kind of mentioned kind of following that theme of this offense. 
not being where everybody kind of expected it to be. What has there been another problem outside of Jacob Eason? Is it just not having that truly dynamic running back like you had in Gaskin, or is it really just that issue like you you said before? Those senior wide receivers just haven't quite been what you know maybe the coaches would have expected when they recruited them four and five years ago. Yeah, I I think the receiver play has been a disappointment. Um, you know, the thing that has fans most upset is that they've got a lot of good. You know, talented guys, guys who were perceived to be more talented as recruits than, than mm-hmm. the starters and the upperclassmen who really haven't been given much of an opportunity until like the second half of the season. Um, you know, I think it became apparent early on that Puka Nakua is a, a true freshman and a, a big four-star recruit in this 2019 signing class was one of their most dynamic playmakers at that position, if not, you know, their, their best pure athlete at receiver right now. And he played in every game until he broke his foot, but it really wasn't until about the Arizona game that they, they kind of um, took the training wheels off and took shots for him and, and yeah. drew up plays for him and, and really got him the ball, and he produced. I mean, he had a, a big gain against Arizona that led to a touchdown. He had a 33-yard touchdown catch against Oregon and really seemed to be catching on. And then during their bye week, he broke his foot, and he's out for the season. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think – um, Terrell Bynum is another guy who people have been really excited about. And, you know, again, he's gotten more opportunities of late. And he's proven to be a, a pretty tough guy who can make some tough contested catches and, and help convert third downs. But um, it, it kind of feels like a, a little bit too late at this point, or mm-hmm. a little, little, too little too late at yeah. this point, excuse me. Um, and then the other thing, I think the, the offensive line has underperformed. Um, you know, I kind, of, I kind of saw this team being a heavy, you know, two tight end, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, build play action off of it, limit the quarterback's need to make decisions, keep things simple. You rely on a, a big you know, veteran, experienced offensive line and uh, still pretty decent running back depth, even without Miles Gaskin. And I think Savon Ackman's having a nice season, but they haven't been the kind of dominant run-first team that, that I sort of expected, and they really haven't protected the passer all that well either. So, you know, I, I think that's uh, – that's a big reason why they've been pretty inconsistent on that mm-hmm. side of the ball as well. It took a dip uh, defensively, as you mentioned, but and I agree, everybody would still very much take, especially in Pullman, a top 30 defense in the country. And I think my rule for this defense, Christian, had kind of been, like I said earlier, they're good until they aren't. It was kind of like my attitude with Stanford. They're good until they are not, and they are clearly not good. But you mentioned that not a lot of, you know, uh, you know you don't have a Vita Vea or a Danny Shelton up front like you have in previous years. You do have Joe Tryon, a, uh, previously a WSU commit up there, really wreaking havoc in the backfield. Not as good inside linebacker play as they used to have, but there are still things this defense does well. What does this defense do really well? You know, I still think they're really talented in the secondary. And, you know, they've, they've started a true freshman safety all year, whether it's been Cam Williams or Asa Turner and... Those guys certainly have, have taken their lumps and had some growing pains and, and missed some assignments, missed some tackles, but you can see the talent. And, and when they're on and when they're in the right position, um, you know, you could tell those guys are going to be playmakers. It's just, mm-hmm. it's been a, a little inconsistent. Um, you know, you look at the Oregon State game, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a team score 56 points on offense one week, score zero points on offense the next week, and then score 53 points on offense in our next game. Um, and that, that zero in the middle of it was, was against Washington. And yeah. it was really their, their most complete, consistent defensive performance of the year. Um, it, but to your point, I mean, they really have not had like one standout big-time playmaker. They haven't had one guy mm-hmm. who's just – 
wreaks havoc and you know they don't have a Ben Burkerbin running around making 180 tackles and forcing a bunch of fumbles and they don't have a defensive back you know they don't have a Taylor Rapp who's you know picking off passes and leading the team in sacks from his safety position and you know they don't have a, a Greg Gaines who's just a stalwart uh, in the middle who's who's going to take up space no matter what and eat up double teams and um, you know I think Levi Onzerike in the middle of that defensive line has had a really good season and is uh, certainly a candidate for all conference honors. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, they've been, they've been, uh, I think inconsistent at times, but you still see the flashes of sort of the old, you know, I say old, like as recently as last year, but the old, (laughs) the old Jimmy Lake defense where everybody's covered up and they're getting a little bit more pressure on the passer. And, um, you know, I think as, as some of those younger inside linebackers get older and, are able to step up and, and they can rely on more guys there than what they've had this year. That mm-hmm. position's going to shore up a little bit too, but um, it's just been, they still put a lot of talent on the field. It's just been youthful mistakes at times. I think you mentioned it um, as well. I think kind of one of the things I noticed in looking at, you know, the box score can only tell you so much, but I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, but I think the other thing Washington defense has really counted on, you kind of mentioned it with Taylor Rapp, um, as well is that they, they forced a lot of turnovers and you know like any good defense you do that you're not just going to rely on three and outs and getting teams out the field you got to stop you know you got to end drives early and it seems to me that that's it's fallen off a little bit so far this year seven fumbles recovered and if I'm counting correctly nine interceptions that's a bit of a dip from previous years as well right you know that was a little bit of an issue last year mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of you look at the cause and effect of it um i think they were so good on the back end they played so few teams who were willing to take shots downfield and, and test them that yeah um you know they're they didn't put a ton of pressure on the passer they didn't have a ton of sacks partially as a product of teams really wanting to get the ball out and running some quicker stuff and mm-hmm. they didn't have a ton of interceptions because you, you didn't see a lot of teams really forcing it downfield on them um so you know that they always want to get more turnovers. I mean, that's been a big priority. I know they, they definitely wanted to get more sacks this year. And, you know, you mentioned Joe Tryon. He, he seems to be coming on toward the end of the year. But, you know, that's that's kind of been the the real head-scratching thing about it is, you know, Joe Tryon has two sacks, four and a half tackles for loss against Oregon State. And those guys kind of live in the backfield. And then against Colorado, it seemed like Steven Montez had all day to throw most of the mm-hmm. game. I think Levi, Levi Onzerike got to him for a sack and, there were a couple times when it seemed like they had him or they, they pressured him a bit, but he would scramble out and, you know, turn, turn it into a big run for a first down. So um, they, they, I think, are still sort of searching for that really consistent playmaker at the edge rusher, rusher position, which they really haven't had since the 2016 season when they went to the playoff. And, mm-hmm. and Joe Mathis was, was kind of that guy for them. Uh, this series is lopsided, uh, very much so. Uh, the last six meetings have been won by Washington, and frankly, without a miraculous comeback in 2012, you'd have to go all the way to the Crapple Cup in 2008 for the last Washington State victory. Uh, but it seems to me, uh, you know, even last year, I thought it was still probably a mismatch, despite Washington State having the better record and the higher ranking uh what do you think about this year's game two six and five teams like a bind 12 and 10 compared to previous seasons where you know it was probably like 25 and four without looking it up or whatever it was but these teams were much much better previously how do you see this one playing out yeah uh i still like washington to to win this mm-hmm. game and continue to streak i don't know i mean I think the opening point spread was eight um yeah it feels like if 
it was about where, where I thought it would be, but uh, I don't know that I'd be putting money on the Huskies to cover that. I do think they, they win the game at home. Um, you know, I, I think that they'll be motivated after a, a really frustrating, embarrassing loss to Colorado. And um, as bad as Washington State's defense has been with Washington playing at home, I think they'll get back to the running game, mm-hmm. figure some things out in the passing game. And, um, yeah, I think the the real key is going to be defensively. Uh, you know, I, the, that secondary has been so loaded these last five years that, you know, you can kind of see how they, they might match up well against the air raid. But, uh, the, you know, they don't have that experience one through five of guys who have done it before. You know, this yeah. is going to be Asa Turner's first game against Wazoo. It's going to be Trent McDuffie's first game against Wazoo. It's going to be Cam Williams' first game against Wazoo. Um, I expect Jimmy Lake to roll out the the six defensive back package again, just like they did last year. And um, with those six, you know, basically half of them, you're relying on guys who are playing their first season of college football. Now this late in the year, you would have expected them to maybe take a step. And I think they have, but um, you're going up against a quarterback who's been as hot as anybody in the country. who's broken Pac-12 single season records already for passing yards and touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think, if I'm Wazoo offensively, I feel like this is probably your best chance to get Washington since the last time they won. Yeah. Um, you know, even better than, than last year playing at home with 11 wins and, and Gardner Minshew and everything, because like you said, I think the, the talent edge was, was still pretty apparent, but this year I think Washington's defense has been just inconsistent enough that I don't quite trust they can put the handcuffs on the air raid like they have the last five years, but um, I, I still think they'll do enough to win the game. Christian Capel from The Athletic does great work covering the Huskies. Make sure you follow him on the Facebook or the Twitter or whatever the heck you're You're on Twitter I, and all that good jazz all week. And the sarcasm never goes away in the many years I've known you, and that's the thing I appreciate the most. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you appreciating it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it again. Thanks again to Christian Capel for his time ahead of a very busy week uh, for him, and for that matter, during a very busy week for him, ahead of the Boeing Apple Cup series between the football teams, the Boeing Apple Cup, gotta stay on brand and whatnot. Um, If you're not watching this soccer team, what is up? Like, even if you don't care for soccer and you just want to support Washington State Athletics, if you're not watching this team, I do not know what to tell you. And you got a chance for dual screens on Friday because they're playing at 3 o'clock in the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. The only unseeded team left in the tournament. That's what kind of run they're making through it right now. But I, I, I it's hard to properly express the incredible nature of how this team remains this consistently good. And how they manage to never fall off a cliff and how apparently Pullman is a soccer city. How Washington State manages to recruit one of the best teams in the hardest conference in the country to play in on a consistent basis. One that hadn't lost to the University of Washington in 16 years before they did this year. Like, it's hard to overstate the befuddlement I have year after year and yet they are good year after year they've they're on four coaches now in the last I think it's like 10 years Matt Potter Kadani McAlpine someone whose name I'm forgetting and Dodd Schulenberger 
I mean, it's in, it's incredible the the level of consistency this program has had. And now I love to finally see it rewarded with a trip to that Elite Eight, the best ever for the program. And with the best player, I, I think it's probably pretty safe to say the best player they've ever had in Morgan Weaver. Three goals over the weekend for her, including two against West Virginia. She had one against Virginia in their sweet six in their round of 32 game. And just the energy with which this team is playing and the crispness with which they're with which they're playing and the discipline with which they're playing is incredible. And it's a credit to Todd Schulenberger and that staff and those athletes how well they are playing right now. And to give you an idea of the level of you know, just their goodness at this present time, you already know they're good. They're in the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. Virginia had had eight goals scored on them all year leading up to that game. Wazoo scored three times. I'm going to repeat that in case you weren't listening. Washington State scored three times against Virginia, who had had eight goals scored against them in all their previous games combined in 2019. Yeah, I let that sink in. I paused for effect and let that sink in a little bit. And then they went out on Sunday and just put an exclamation point on it. West Virginia was never in that game except for a little pressure early in the first half and again early in the second half when it was still one nothing. Morgan Weaver made dang well good and sure in the second half that this team was going to make it to the Elite Eight in her senior season. And you have between the pipes a goalkeeper goalkeeper in Ella Dieterich who, again, you're probably looking at among the best in school history. The coming together of the level of talent on this team is simply outstanding right now. And I want to throw full force behind them. We tried to get Todd Schulenberger on the show. He's understandably a little bit busy this week. And the team is still back east. But we do appreciate the attempt to work out a time with him because he's always so nice to give us some time at the beginning of the year. But it it is incredible the level to which they're playing right now. And, and I'm saying that for a team that has had a consistent level of excellence. But before, early in this run, had had trouble getting past that first round of the NCAAs. And two years ago, getting into the Sweet 16 and getting that taste of it, and then this year, making it past there to the Elite Eight with arguably a tougher path, again, against Virginia. The Tony Bennett revenge game. Not really. But. <laughs> but. I really encourage you to find a way to watch this soccer team on Friday at 3 o'clock. I know the Apple Cups are one. Just get a laptop open. It's on Watch ESPN. It's free. They're playing the South Carolina Gamecocks in Columbia. And it's for the right to go to the College Cup. The Final Four in San Jose. Not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. That is something... I mean, we're already in uncharted territory. And I think I feel good saying that... You know, 
we, we kind of talked last year and, and actually this year about Gardner Minshew in the NFL playing with house money. This team's playing with house money right now. This team is playing with house money. I, I did not expect them to get past Virginia, past West Virginia, and now they're facing the number five team in the country in South Carolina. So why the heck not? Why not just knock them off again? You're playing loose. You got nothing to lose. And I think we all know as a Washington State fan, playing, say, an FCS team with nothing to lose, how effective that can be. I mean, yeah, sure, there's pressure to win, but, I mean, how much? (laughs) You're already further than anybody expected you to get. You're two rounds further. You should have lost to Virginia. You maybe should have lost to West Virginia. By the way, we get the Virginias now, right? That's how that works, isn't it? I think that's how that works. I want that moonshine. Monticello looks nice, too. I don't know what else there is in either of those places. But you're already playing with that, you know, play loose, play fast, play fun. And I think that works to your advantage a little bit. We'll get into the soccer analysis here, but it works to your advantage a little bit. When you've got nothing to lose, you feel good. And when you're playing against a team that is expected to win and get to the Final Four, maybe things break your way a little bit more. Maybe they play a little too tense. But either way, it's a historic season. And I really encourage you to watch that game on Friday. If for no other reason than to give Morgan Weaver and Ella Dieterich the respect they deserve and the acknowledgement they deserve. That they are easy, you know, Ella Dieterich up there with Gervine Clare for best goalkeeper in school history. But it might be hard to find another player. Maybe Kirsten Dahlstream up there for WSU soccer. But it would be hard to find another player like Morgan Weaver in Wazoo history. And so at the very least, you know, you're, you're seeing that best team in school history in this particular sport. So if for no other reason, they deserve it for that. Because this is a dang good team. And they got a realistic shot of knocking off South Carolina. And that would be pretty friggin' cool. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song on the Food Center Hour. Underhead of the week time, and we're going to trot out an old easy trope. Just stay for the freaking game. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's the same thing with every student section. Every single time 
there's a game right before Thanksgiving that's not an Apple Cup, and I don't think, I, I don't like that the, well, the Pac-12 needs to not schedule that game for us. Well, no, they don't need to take into consideration, you know, I, I'm happy to rip on the Pac-12 as much as anybody, but they don't need to take into consideration one school's issue every single year. Well, remember, we can't do this for Waz. No, you're not going to do that. That's stupid. So yeah, you're going to have to play that game eventually, but I just, I still don't get it because I can't I can't wrap my head around you know that that student section is full at the start of most every game at Washington State and I, I also understand that not every student's gonna care about football I totally get that but you can't tell me that there aren't enough kids to at least make it look respectable for a game before a weekend and this is a problem it's just every single year this game exists but it all, you know, it's also the student section is also the biggest in the Pac-12 by quite a distance, and so it, it just it keeps leading me down the path, and I've waffled back and forth on this, but I think it's finally just it might be time to take some seats out of the student section. I think I saw a suggestion somewhere, you know, give them more of the lower down seats, and the alums get to take one of the higher up seats for the better seats, because the biggest issue for me is that even if the season ticket demand isn't really there you at least might get a few and you might sell a few more seats and it's almost certainly going to make you more money than those kids who are paying a hundred and however many dollars it is for every athletic event at the school for the year which again that's that's another bargain that wazoo students get that not nobody else gets now i don't know if the school's done the math and said look we're gonna lose more on the sports pass than we would selling the tickets but I, if, if they haven't looked into it, it might it might finally be time. And this has nothing to do with the current crop of students at Washington State. It's just that student section is way too big. It's it's too big. 8,300 is a lot of seats. Now, again, I, you know, I also get it because you got a built-in fan base, so maybe you need that many seats to make it look fuller. But I think at the very least for this, you know, if, if you don't want to do that, at the very least for this game every year, take a section away and start donating tickets to like military families or whatever else. I, I know I think in the past they've done you can buy tickets to donate or you can donate your season tickets or whatever, but at least open up a section for ticket sales right on the 50-yard line. They may be offered at a discount or something, but it's just that student section looks pathetic and it just, it's horrible on TV every year and I'm kind of rambling on this, but I, yeah, it's time to look at it. If it doesn't make sense, fine. But at least for that game, when it does happen, think of something else. Think of some other way to make it look a little fuller. Ask Michael anything time. So my hot student section takes. Got him in near the end of the year here. That's probably a good thing. At Emma Waitman. Emma Waitman. Our own Emma Waitman. Ask Michael, can you extend my curfew? The running joke is apparently I am her dad, even though I'm only 11 years her senior. Good God, only 11 years her senior, but I feel so old. Uh, no, study and go to bed early. At Keelan Watermelon, Kellen Watermelon, Kellen Watermelon. Is it bad to bet on the other team for the Apple Cup? Because then it's a win-win. We win the game. I'm cool burning money. We lose the game. I make money. I try to make it a point to never bet on Wazoo or UW games, and I do bet very legally on a totally not offshore betting book. Uh, but I violate that rule every year and bet on Washington State. I did last week, and I bet on the over, and I made money. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't do it. I just, I, it's, I wouldn't do it. 
Because the funny thing is, if you bet on Washington to cover and then they don't or we win, then you lose money. Unless you're just going to take Washington straight up, in which case I probably wouldn't advise that because I'm sure it's sitting at like minus 300 and you're... You gotta bet three bucks to make a buck, so that's not a good idea. At WC Brady27, Vegas Bull Bound, maybe. That is one of the two. Uh, what are the best, worst Thanksgiving dishes you've had? If you could ban one dish, what would it be? Now, see, these are the questions. I love all my Thanksgiving week questions. The best Thanksgiving dish I've ever had. Oh, man. My mom makes a killer pumpkin pie. I mean, like, really good. It's super delicious. And then we had a friend do scalloped potatoes one year with Cougar Gold. That was really good. Uh, man, what else? My father-in-law, we're going there Thursday. He deep fries his turkey with a Cajun rub. Oh, my God. Y'all, if you have not done that, oh, my, do that. If I could... And I don't really think I've ever had, like, a bad one. I mean, like, the canned cranberry sauce is bad. I'd probably ban that. I realize it's a tradition. Maybe just do it as, like, a place setting. If that's all it was meant to be, do it as a place setting. Uh, and green bean casserole. I'm actually not a really big fan of that. I don't really care for it. At the last soon, Max Corgi. Peterson to FSU was an early Christmas present. <laughs> that would be hilarious. If Chris Peterson left. I don't think he's going to, but... That'd be funny. At Pac-12 Dave. The Southern Gentleman Sports Show on the ticket 850, which is in Pensacola? Fort Walton? It's in Florida. Wants to know just how significant is Anthony Gordon passing for what is sure to be 5,000 yards this season and the impact on his future in the NFL. He is what he is. The 5,000 yards is a product of the offense he's in, so scouts are going to evaluate him based on his mechanics and everything else, his arm strength and all that other good jazz. That's how it should be. How it will be. At Green CPA, Brian Setzler, can you point to the science that determined purple is the ugliest color for a football team? Uh, just the eye test. That would be the science that's there. Uh, I think the funny thing, too, is I actually kind of liked their early 2000s traditional get-up, and then it just got weird with the piping, and then the Nike put the black shoulder patches on it. And I'm not a big fan of the Adidas, like, lettering script kind of on their jerseys, but if there's a combo that works, it's this one. My brother-in-law's team is East Carolina, and they go purple and yellow. Maybe that works a little bit better, a little bit more contrast in color, and they do a little deeper purple. I don't really, yeah, the purple is, eh, whatever. It's ugly. Who cares? Screw you, Dub. Uh, <laughs> at P. Molinix, Peter Molinix, do you think the Cougs will win the Apple Cup? Give me a second. At WSU Soccer Women's Stand Account, or WSU Women's Soccer Stand Account, at Sports with Neil. Best recommendation for avoiding your husky friends during the weekend after. Turn your phone off, lock yourself in a basement, or go to a Coog bar like the Joker Pub, uh, Marco Polo. Uh, there's also Kangaroo and Kiwi in Ballard if you're in the Seattle area. I just go there, turn your phone off, don't get on social media, any other stuff. I also realized I rambled on that science determined purple, purple is the ugliest color for a football team question. To be clear, it's when they did their all black uniforms with like the purple lettering. Those were horrifying, terrible uniforms. Washington 34, Washington State 21. It just ain't gonna happen. I'll see you guys in Vegas on the Kook Center Hour.